0: Um, And if you don't mind to begin by introducing yourself and and also to talk uh, about the BDS SA coalition and and then I guess we can introduce the the conference that took place over the weekend.
1: Okay, so I'm Roshan Dardu, the coordinator of the South African BDS coalition, Um, and we came about a couple of years ago, bringing together different groups of Palestine solidarity activists here in South Africa. So groups like the South African Jews for a Free Palestine, a group called Palestine Solidarity Alliance, the Palestine Solidarity Campaign, and various campus groups um, and others um, into one coalition. And now the coalition is the affiliate of the Palestinian BDS National Committee. So we're part of the kind of global um, BDS movement. Um, And then at this, Partly out of that, the BDS movement globally were realized that they had over-focused on the North, on Europe and the Mm. States in terms of developing solidarity and BDS campaigns. And so they launched a Global South Initiative, which was just as the coalition was starting. So we were part of that, which got together. In fact, former presidents and stuff signed the initial Global South call And the idea was to try to strengthen in Latin America, in Asia, and also in Africa, um, the solidarity movement. So out of all of that, we started to uh, make connections with people and individual activists and groups where there were groups across the continent. And this meeting now we've just had in Dakar was, in fact, the first time we've come together in real life um, so we had a two-day strategy meeting, and then we had a meeting on the Saturday that was a kind of public event and a press conference. And for that we, um, we brought Ma- um, Mandela Mandela, the grandson of Nelson Mandela, and also Emma Nureri, who's the granddaughter of uh, Julius Molimo Nureri. So that was the Saturday. But I think I'll put the Facebook and Twitter handles because there's all, all the info and pictures and whatnot are going around there. <clears throat> but yeah, so that's, that's the coalition and how we, we started working um, with Papson and what brought us to have this meeting, this now a few days ago. Oh, it was also, we decided to host it in Senegal, partly because there's a strong solidarity group there and the Amnesty International Senegal Um, branch is quite strong, but more importantly because of the whole AU fiasco and because Senegal Makisal, the president, is now the chair of the AU, and from that disastrous way in which the the end of the heads of state meeting ended with this committee of three in favour of Israeli accreditation and three against countries, heads of state, Makisal is now the chair. you know, it's important to try to (laughs) put pressure on him, because he obviously can tip the balance in favor of Israel, especially as he just signed a multi-million dollar arms deal with Israel. But nevertheless, the feeling in Senegal is traditionally and still is very pro-Palestinian. And they do sort of almost, well, permanently chair the Committee on Palestine in the UN. So we're trying to put pressure particularly on Senegal, because it's certainly contradictory if they're chairing that committee and then you know, allowing Israel to accredit to the AU. So that was why Senegal.
0: <laughs> and I, I see that 20 nations attended uh, or sent delegations. Um, and I, I'm just curious over the course of the four day, uh, over the course of the weekend, um what kind of subjects were discussed what was the structure of the conference itself uh, was the focus entirely on uh israel's au observer status or was there also a discussion like you mentioned of israel's connections militarily diplomatically with individual nations as well
1: yeah no i mean we started off because it was sort of the first time we'd all met together we started off with each country giving a very brief um Sort of answer to a few questions about the Solidarity Movement and what Israel is up to in their countries and what are the challenges and what are the, the sort of possible um, uh, uh, opportunities and so on. Um, and then from that on the second day we looked particularly at Christian Zionism, which is a huge thing on the continent. Um, in some countries I mean it's massive people going thousands of people go on so-called pilgrimages to Israel and the way in which the issue is is you know it's kind of told through the church and the way in which people relate to churches mostly the evangelical and um, Presbyterian and churches but the role they play is so significant that people were saying you know, that the, the preachers are like mentors and fathers and you don't question them. And so if they get this idea that Israel is at home for the Jews because of some supposed biblical and theological arguments, people don't question it. So looking at ways in which we can try to challenge that because it's really just another field of Hasbara, but it's very potent in the continent I mean, in South Africa too, but even more so in other countries. Um, so that was one thing we looked at particularly. And then also the agriculture and development assistance, because that's the other thing Israel's targets in Africa. These kind of water projects and agri-tech projects and training people and blah, 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 both as the, 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 the government you know, development assistance, but increasingly, well, Israel changed its strategy to... So that now the government encourages these startup companies to come, uh, they get incentivized to come and do these projects and partnerships. But often they just fail anyway. You know, they big it up and they make it sound really great to governments and stuff. But in reality, we're we're sort of mapping with in South Africa with just started well we've kind of mapped what projects there are and they're way more than you would think in a country that takes a strong Palestinian position but in other countries it's worse but often they don't that you know they're kind of like white elephants I think in Angola they set up this moshav and it was this huge farm thing and it's just like in tatters now there's no you know it's kind of not it it doesn't work or it doesn't, you know, it's just a a sort of showcase basically for then selling governments, military and high tech spyware and stuff like that, you know, it's kind of a way in a soft way into to make people feel that Israel is beneficial for development, especially because it offers all this training and stuff. So that was the other big area that we looked at. I mean, some of this high-tech stuff hasn't it you know those that scandal recently where where a company claims to do something before it's even actually done it <laughs> what do you call that remember it was in the news recently a big scam where people gave money for something like a startup thing so they claim make all these claims and then often it's not even like they've actually done it outside of, of uh, you know, kind of laboratory setting, or it's not—it's just not—you know—applicable. It's not done with any kind of real intention to have—you know—of what the conditions in the context is. So they sort of sound very flashy and good, but don't aren't sustainable. Or don't. Well, there's one project that where they to do with getting water from clouds. I don't know something, but it in reality it's. What, what our water, Someone who used to head up our water, uh, the government department said, it's like having a, a generator on the back of a little truck. You know, it's really not something that that's, you could seriously propose to answer the needs of water for all and access to water <laughs> in South Africa, that was. So those kind of projects and then leading from that into the military and the spyware, like the Pegasus spyware and so on. Um, because obviously those products are tested on Palestinians, and then used the only reason our governments will buy them is to use it on us so you know it's it's a no win situation both ways or to fuel conflicts like in the north of Mozambique at the moment in Cabo delgada there's the involvement of kinds of Israeli uh, military things. Kenya has a very strong military cooperation with israel i mean they actually have proper training and they have developed their their intelligence and security services. So to try to get information and find out about that and expose that, because it impacts on, you know, it's a way of saying, look, this is what they do to Palestinians, but then this is what they do here. We also end up suffering from these things. So that was the other kind of main area we looked at.
0: And I'm curious in how... Uh... So, discussing the the history of military and developmental coordination, we've seen definitely with respect with the the AU and uh, recent diplomatic moves, Israel trying to kind of move itself closer to African nations, or in in the case of uh, under the Trump presidency, this move to try and get countries like Morocco and Sudan to recognize Israel, which has promoted a huge backlash by the people who actually, you know, live there and, and are in support of Palestine. So I wonder how that divide kind of came into play and in that South Africa, as, as you mentioned, has historically, because of the history of apartheid, been one of the strongest pro-Palestine nations and has this downgraded diplomatic status, but other African countries have a much stronger diplomatic status, have, you know, for whatever reason, uh, if they've been coerced into it by the US or they believe they need it for military reasons, Uh, have a a stronger relationship. So how did this divide going in with some nations? And even we saw it at the AU as well with the debates going back and forth. Some nations, you can kind of consistently see they're taking a certain path because of their history with Israel. So did that play a role in what countries did and did not attend? Uh, And did it impact the debates? Or were pretty much all the countries in attendance solidly in the the pro-Palestine camp?
1: I mean, yes, they were solidly in the pro-Palestinian thing. It was activists, so it was civil society, not mm-hmm. government people um, from all the countries. So we did have someone from Morocco and some two people, I think, from Sudan. Um, it's you know, so we were looking to see how can we collectively help them put pressure on their governments. But of course, in the case of Sudan, it, you know, it, it's possible that Sudan could change its position if. But, you know, they said people, they were demonstrations still every day and people were getting killed in these demonstrations, but, you know, it's still not, at least the, the popular movement is still there to, to try to get rid of the military-led um, regime that's, you know, that's there, that has, you know, been the one that has gone along with this normalization with the UAE and this promise of of sanctions being dropped. And again, with Morocco, there's a huge popular sentiment against having this normalized relationship with Israel. But the government has, you know, gone along, gone ahead with it for whatever its own, I mean, Morocco anyway, is a colonizer like Israel. So, you know, they've always had this kind of, uh, if not formally openly, this kind of similarity in the way they They operate, Um, but even with South Africa, I mean, we've downgraded our embassy in Israel. We still have a massive Israeli embassy here. And just recently, a new ambassador was, you know, at the normal of giving their, their credentials, but as a normal country, I mean, we made a fuss about it, but you know, it's not, we have not broken diplomatic ties nor have we broken trade ties, nor have we got consistently uh, any kind of policy around sports and culture boycott. There was a big noise when our Miss World, Miss South Africa um, was going to Israel for the Miss Universe contest. And then the government said it with true support, but just last week, a Davis Cup tennis team went from South Africa to Israel and we made a fuss about it. And we wrote to the government and said, look, you know, show some consistency, but that we haven't heard back from them. So it's not, you know, it's not it's not always consistent. I think at the moment our foreign minister is very strong on the issue of Palestine, and she's really, really raised it up in the AU and our president then also in the heads of state meeting. But you know, again, South Africa doesn't want to operate alone and you can see that Israel is trying to isolate south africa's voice in multilateral fora on the issue sadic took a position against accreditation but then there's there's countries within sadic that broke the consensus basically which is an issue for sadic because it's not normally how they operate if you do get a sadic position and it was a fight to get that position apparently but you know, then the, the norm is that you don't break the consensus, like with the AU, the norm is that it's it, things that it agreed on the basis of consensus. So the whole question of Israel is, is having a bigger impact than just that, in the way in which the AU operates. And of course, Israel wants to divide the Africa bloc voting in the UN General Assembly, um, particularly now with the growing call for Israel to be called out as an apartheid state and for some kind of resolution to go to the general assembly which could potentially lead them to sanctions and so on because the argument is of course well if it's an apartheid state then do what you did to south africa so you know they, they want to break up that because without <clears throat> the africa bloc is the biggest number of votes so if you can break that consensus you can um, you know, in their mind, you can then make sure that such resolutions never get passed. So you know th- those those that's the kind of situation at the government level, but nevertheless, if you can you know if we can mobilize on the ground grassroots civil society, academics, all the rest of it, um, and support each other across the continent, there is the possibility that governments also need votes. So apart from the really despotic ones, they do at some point need to uh, listen to what people are saying or if opposition parties take up the cause, you know, you have some possibility of of changing that. But also just to make people more, you know, raise awareness that this kind of idea of Israel as this benign Benef- you know, benefactor for development assistance isn't the case. That it does sell this military stuff that fuels wars on the continent, and to try and challenge this this Christian uh, Zionist, well, saying Christian Zionist, but you know, broader influence within Christianity that that you know spreads a myth basically about Israel. But also with the issue now of Ukraine, of course, you know, people are saying, look at the hypocrisy. It co- clearly is possible for the international community to very rapidly isolate a country. And this, you know, like FIFA, they always say, oh no, but FIFA will never and UEFA will never. Well, they did it within a couple of days. They, I think FIFA first of all said they would uh, get Russia to the Russia games to play you know, without an audience, and then even that they were pressured to say no, they won't play at all. You know, in two days that was done with all the other kind of sanctions and measures to isolate culturally and every other which way, Russia, it does prove that it is actually possible and increasingly, you know, people are making that that, uh, comparison and that hypocrisy on the part of the West in particular around who you decide is the biggest enemy and how you can act against them. Whereas this situation for 70 years goes on and nobody, you know, you can't do anything about it. So I think perversely that may also at least make people feel that something can be done and that the international community can actually do something if it wants to. So then the question is why doesn't it want to, why a country's not wanting to do that? Or why is a Palestinian with a Molotov cocktail or even a pebble or even nothing in their hands a terrorist? And why are they, you know, explaining on BBC how to make a Molotov cocktail in Ukraine? <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> the notion of who has the right to resist and so on. Or who has the right to be a refugee.
0: Right. And the, I think that speaks to something that I also, you know, heard from uh, when, I, when I talked to Africa for Palestine, which was this historical sentiment of, of solidarity that is kind of deep within, uh, within African nations. And on, on the one hand, so as you're saying that the history of uh, resistance to colonialism that all African nations had to experience and therefore have you know this solidarity uh, at some level with Palestine for their current ongoing struggle against colonialism, but then at a more at a more recent level, for example, with South Africa, I wonder how the the Amnesty International report on apartheid, had, you know, now coming out, um, it seemed like it it was a huge uh, title shift within South Africa, at least to say, you know, wow. this is this is like confirmation of of apartheid get a statement come out from the international relations minister who said this would be the pretext for direct diplomatic action against Israel we're, we're still waiting to see exactly what that means but i wonder how the amnesty international report in particular has helped shift the conversation to help south africans understand this in the in the in the you know view of apartheid which already was happening but now is kind of confirmed in, in some level and also how elements of solidarity like that, like that anti-colonial struggle, help uh, people from across the African continent understand the Palestinian situation?
1: Yes, I think it's helped enormously, but also because it's almost the culmination of so many other reports from B'Tselem and Yeshdin and Israel, uh, the Human Rights Watch report, various UN, that report, I can never remember the acronym, the EAST. Um, the West Asian UN body, where the report was then uh, pulled, uh, I can't remember the the acronym. And then various South Africans, I mean, our human HRSC, uh, Human Research and Science Council, HRSC, wrote a report, it was over 10 years ago, sort of kind of a report evidencing you know, actions of Israel as apartheid, um, eminent South Africans like Archbishop Tutu who came back from Palestine and said it was worse than apartheid, so that it's all of those things together I think that amnesty reports are sort of uh, galvanized that and I think amnesty has done quite well in publicly, you know, not just publishing the report but having a strategy of publicizing it afterwards. And so the author of the report, Salah Hijazi from Amnesty in Palestine, um, was in South Africa a couple of weeks ago. So we had meetings with him and he met with the government, with the foreign minister and so on. So I think they've really made an effort to to use the report and to make the point and to to, to sort of almost make it a consensus in in a way of and of course, initially Palestinian people themselves who were saying this is apartheid, but now even the PA is saying it's apartheid, which they had not previously, and our government is slowly getting that language into its its uh, its, its you know its statements and so on. So yeah, I think it's had a big impact, and it, of course it makes South Africa it kind of highlights South Africa as soon as you say apartheid. So Obviously, we are trying to say, yes, Israel is a settler colonial state, it's an apartheid state, and those links with the liberation movements on our continent with Palestine that was so strong, even for younger people on the continent who maybe don't relate to their own liberation struggles in the same way or feel their liberation, what were the liberation movements in government have let everybody down? There is a renewed interest in a decolonial, discourse so again trying to bring that the Palestinian struggle and the apartheid issue into that um, that kind of uh, anti-colonial decolonializing of, of things <laughs> and again you know I think it's helped in that way too and in fact Saleh Jazi also came to Dakar so that was quite good
0: I, I guess and on that. On that note, you mentioned at the outset the the rationale for moving towards having global South solidarity with Palestine, and I, that prompted me to wonder whether uh, kind of the theme of analysis that I've been seeing and, and even in this conversation of trying to ask why, uh, you know, northern, I guess, in the global North nations, for example, are so willing to have solidarity with with Ukraine, but so unwilling to have solidarity with Palestine. Do you think that this is the beginning of a, a new kind of uh, initiative on behalf of the pro-Palestine movement to go where, you know, solidarity historically has been from uh, other global South nations that are part of, that have this anti-colonial experience that sympathize with Palestine, but I guess in the world now, as it, as it's changing to potentially be something of a multipolar world that has opportunities for uh, the global South to assert itself more definitively? Do you see that as a, a new strategy for the BDS movement to shift away from trying to convince uh, global North nations to you know to sanction Israel, which seems like a, a long time uh, process and to shift towards encouraging the countries that already may have some sympathy or may, be inclined to have some sympathy with Palestine to take a more definitive stance like South Africa, which has been such a leader?
1: Yeah, I don't know if it's a a new strategy. I think it was more, you know, you tend to rely on the global South and in the UN, especially, to take a pro Palestinian line and, and not realizing, like in Africa, the ways in which Israel is capturing governments on the continent and actually and undermining that Um. so I think it was more not and also not having built up quite as strong, I think, in, in particularly in Europe but also maybe in the States, there's there's been a quite a change in the, in the strength of the Palestine solidarity movements in both those countries, although so governments are not
2: budging, and there's a lot of you know repressive legislation around BDS and stuff but
1: it seems like certainly I grew up there, my parents in exile, South Africans in exile under apartheid there. And, you know, it was very, very small, the Palestine solidarity movement at the time. It was not a, a popular issue. I mean, it was still, we were still working to make the South African anti apartheid movements you know, into a popular movement. But it seems like there has been a shift. And so now, you know, in a way, forces are a bit strengthened and looking at the global south where there's been a whittling away of that that traditional support i think it's made like the, the
2: the bds well
0: in that case i i think my final couple of questions are where do you see the movement for Palestinian solidarity on the African continent growing and, and expanding? What are the areas of, of opportunity? And then where this uh, question of Israel's observer status within the African Union is heading? um, The last, as you said, the last update I saw was it was kind of uh, tabled indefinitely by the, the AU heads of state to be discussed at a further date. Uh, It seems that there's a general agreement that the move was taken Without proper consultation of, of the other nations within the AU. But I think it brings up a question of, you know, the African Union, previously having been the Organization of African Unity, uh, had Israel as an observer. Um, but with it changing to the African Union, I guess, kind of in the post apartheid era as well, uh, South Africa trying to take a more definitive role and being still consistently pro-Palestine had been able to successfully delay that that observer status for a while until recently so I wonder if that too is a sign that something is changing within the general African Union membership or if this was still just a unilateral move taken by the by the AU without consultation and there's going to be a significant pushback that can recommit to the stance, the post-2002, post-apartheid stance of, of being definitively pro-Palestine?
2: Well, I think, firstly, the decision was taken unilaterally by the chair of the commission, Mr. fact So it wasn't even up to discussion. You know, we knew that it would be controversial and that it wouldn't pass through consensus. So it's all been done in a very underhand way, actually, because he initially accepted the credentials of the Israeli ambassador, which apparently in the Constitutive Act and the regulatory regulations, it's in its power to do that. But obviously, on something so you know, don't, don't do that because you, if you know that you're going to get a number of countries and some of the well, world, in fact, it's from the countries that underpin the area that you, and apart now from the in from that, Nigeria, Algeria and South Africa, were going to object to it, so you know, the whole thing was shredded. and then it went to the foreign ministries, so it was a battle of the foreign ministers to get it on the agenda, it was originally just on the, on the notes of the decisions taken, you know, right at the end of the committee, not tonight, and for discussion, and our foreign minister in Algeria pushed to get it on the agenda, so it was easily discussed. Then the discussion was so poorly chaired and perfectly, you know, it was poorly chaired and the joints were shut up. <laughs> um, and still the up. And other ones that they knew were going to object, they didn't also then have to the process. So the reason kind of that's I mean, was just to end it the shambles. And it was just to be okay with going to the heads of state. So none of it has been done properly. Then it went to the heads of state. And again, the whole thing was the shambles in the morning, it was discussed, and it was understood by everybody, that um, Israel would not, we knew that they were going to propose this committee of the three countries in favor of the event, which is fine if in the meanwhile Israel as no stated, it's not fine if in the meanwhile Israel claims its reputation because when you're stuck with them, and you've got things going through against, and as chair so how they were going to resolve it i don't know but the problem was that in the morning it was understood Israel would not be appointed to until this committee came from those to recommendations by the evening it was somehow changed so that when the was kind of summating at the end of the meeting it was it was it was clear that israel was not not to in the meanwhile. So South Africa was going to raise it, and they were not taking, they were taking the speakers, and it was a big, you know, again, you know, like a, a managing the whole thing. Then Makasol was insisting, no, we must go with the Ask finals, and the in the finals. So we have to actually have to go to, to up the the football. And others were saying that. So the whole thing was just left in a mess because you could see the media. we were following through the day from people that we knew and from different countries that were there for any. People started reporting it's a victory as well as being thrown out from the morning, and we were saying we were trying to figure out what was going on, and then other people would say no, 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 it's not. So the whole thing was really confusing, and only by the evening we could see that they sneakily went to keep this pill in whilst this committed liberal. So it's very strange, you know, none of it has been done properly, the process hasn't been properly done. So I think even on that basis, you know, you can, companies may feel that to forget about the matter, uh, just because it's having a bigger impact, like you said, it has a big impact to in voting AU has never happened before something so controversial but the a, fact, that will split the AU in effect, we have wider repercussions. Not that I think that AU is necessarily the you most know, wonderful organization on earth, but nevertheless, <laughs> it's there and it does speak together the countries on the continent and so on, and the fact that the have on the voting block in the as well So I think the whole thing is a fiasco. And it is something I think that there's always pushback from not only countries and governments, but also people within governments' own countries are pushing back. So who knows how it will resolve itself, but I think at the very least we have to keep it on the agenda. We have to keep people reminding people that it's not resolved, that this can't continue. Israel's been founded, particularly they want to go they believed that would definitively secure them with reputation. Um, and it would split their own they so it was weird looking at the unfolding headlines that day on the Israeli papers and initially they reported that they had been thrown out and then they quickly had to everything and then they finally realized they hadn't but they also ended up going like it was a victory so, I think things are kind of, you know, they don't get away really from that AU issue, and it's just important to keep it up because it's trying to not let governments of the whole people from this very quiet and go away. There has to be seen to be taking a position on it. And um, what was that? Oh, bringing the solidarity. Well, I think just coming together for the first time, that in itself helps. And like today, um, the comrades in Kenya said that they have finally managed to get this collateral franchise in um, Kenya to themselves for the fact that he's own and using a great project in there. Yeah. So, you know, it's sort of like we've done little videos to support their campaign. It's also a small thing, but it's been speaking in Kenya, it's a huge role as well, that's a little bit um, that we can persuade so now we're sort of trying to do around the bunch of it telling people when anyway, we're going to go to collateral, the mutual collateral house can yeah, you that you know regulate them, blah, blah, blah. So they sort of you know, support each other and, and campaign on campaigns within the other countries as well as these we are. But also around the designism, we want to try like to see if we can put the pilots. And that clarity uh, in, in a country continental way. And then also we will get a lot of people that come from the groups who are young women So very um, strong and active and um, you know, uh, energetic and committed and informed young women. So I think definitely looking at trying to broaden the appeal to young people and women. On the country, in but, and to that are really to to the So yeah, that's
0: the other thing we to try to pursue, Well that that sounds very uh, exciting and uh, and from that I I hope uh, I can assume there will be more uh, Pan-African anti-apartheid conferences in the future.
2: Yes, definitely. And I'll put the whole way to the Facebook
0: and so on. Great. And up i to you to as
2: well.
0: Fantastic. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for, for taking the time out of your day uh, to give me more information about the conference. And it sounds fantastic. And uh, I would love definitely to attend a, a future one so uh, so, take care and, uh, and you know, good luck with the, the continuing struggle, even though it, it is very difficult um, to break through it, at times. Um, it's definitely something that is very, very valuable. And this continuing kind of cooperation from the Global South with supporting and, and having solidarity for Palestine is very important. And I've been really impressed to see the initiative being taken by definitely South Africa in particular, but really Ah, uh, this emerging coalition of African nations to, to really push for action. Um, so I think it's something to continue watching in the future for sure.
2: And please send us whatever you like.
0: <laughs> yes, for sure. I'll send you the article as soon as it's finished. Yes. Yes, for sure. All right. Take care. Excellent. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
2: Bye.